It's fake. I say done work, waking up, pay me up, nine to five, five to one, one to eight thirty in the morning. Give me five more for my me time. Pray it works. Give me five more for my knees times. I don't even need rhymes. Supply rhythm is given. Equations, X's, I'm letting the sentences run. Good morning. This is Ellie Newman, and you're listening to It's Relationship. My guest today is Dr. Mita Patel. Dr. Patel is a traveling emergency room physician. She has recently traveled to India to provide relief for underserved children and is about to take off, I just found out on Monday, so really about to take off, to Uganda. Dr. Patel joined a number of medical volunteer trips to Mexico as a college student and medical student, traveling to Acuna and Saltillo, Mexico. And to get even more experience, as if that weren't enough, she worked in New Zealand after graduating residency, all in the hopes that in her own words, this is a start to a giving and rewarding life. I think you're well on your way, Dr. Patel. Um, Welcome and thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So you're off uh, on Monday to Uganda to provide medical support to the underserved with Project Helping Hands, an organization out of Oregon. How did you choose that particular organization to travel with? So I actually met a physician. I was working in Stockton, California, and I met an ER physician named Greg Higgins. And he actually is from Alaska, trained in the U.S., and I'm not sure when, maybe a couple of years ago, moved out to Tanzania um, and runs an orphanage out there. Um, And he so runs the East African division of Project Helping Hands. So when he started telling me about the work he does and all the work that's needed to be done, it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that this guy comes out to Stockton, works a couple of weeks to raise enough money, and then takes it all back to these orphanages and to these medical trips. So, um, yeah, it was a great uh, very lucky to meet someone like him. Read uh, Project Helping Hands mission statement. Project Helping Hands is a non-affiliated, not-for-profit organization dedicated to facilitating culturally sensitive growth opportunities for volunteers to provide health and medical intervention programs for those lacking access to develop sustainable locally run health promotion and prevention programs and to assist with the basic life needs of the less fortunate in developing nations. They serve Peru, Bolivia, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Kenya, Liberia, the Philippines, Sudan, and last but not least, Uganda. And, and you've chosen Uganda. Was there a reason that you chose that trip? Um, yeah, it's actually a little bit more personal. My uh, father was born and raised there. Um, and so it's and my mom's from Tanzania, which I was lucky enough to go last year. Um, and I've never been to Uganda and heard a lot of stories. And they actually fleed the country in the 70s during Idi Amin's dictatorship. Um, and so it's just been something that uh, I just want to see. I hear these stories and, uh, it, you know, wonderful things about the country. And so it just, it feels... Um, like a part of my family, if I have a connection to it. And what was your parents' response to you going? Um, My dad's, I mean, beyond excited. I mean, he was fantastic, and he donated, helped me fundraise and donated money to this uh, particular volunteer group as well. Um, I think he wanted to come with me. (laughs) Um, But so he's, he's very excited. I saw they also take non-medical personnel, so maybe next time your dad can go, he can be part of that 20%. Yeah. I also saw on the website the team choices. You can choose between extreme, moderate, or mild, and Uganda was mild. It does not sound very mild to no. me. Um, what was your reaction when you read the definitions of the choice options? 
Oh, I was up for anything. Uh, one of the things I like to do is just be physically prepared because on a lot of these trips, you're lugging supplies and medications and hiking from camp to camp. And so that's one of the ways I actually prepare for the trip. And they say mild, and I'm not sure where they get that from. Yeah, but I, I don't know whose bailiwick they're using. It's certainly I, certainly yeah. not mine. Fit people. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just fit, but I, I know in the extreme you have, it was mild because you actually have a bed to sleep in and running water yeah. and electricity. Yeah. That was sort of the parameters that made it yeah. mild. But yeah. the rest of it sounded incredibly challenging and intense. Yeah. So you're currently living in California. How, how did you land there? Um, I'd actually, I trained, I did all my medical training in Texas. Um, California was just, uh, I love the ocean. I love the mountains. It seemed like a perfect place to be. So it was always just, uh, something I wanted to do. And after graduating residency, I applied for my California medical license and moved out here. And where had you grown up? I grew up in the UK, actually. I was born and raised in England, um, till the nineties, till I was about 14. And then we moved to Texas um, and so I did most of my training in Texas and then uh, realized that I could live anywhere I wanted to live. And so it was California. <laughs> and what led you to medicine? Um, you know, it was actually, I think it was in college. I, I majored in chemistry. I actually thought I was going to be a chemical engineer and did some kind of intern work at companies and did not really enjoy it very much and wanted more people, uh, I guess, experience. And so a couple of friends of mine were actually doing an EMT course uh, during, I think, my second year in college. And I thought, well, you know, I'll check it out, see how it is. It, you know, I've always worked through high school and college, so it was just, well, I can get a job and help pay for school. And I fell in love with it. I just absolutely loved being an EMT. Um, and so I think that was a big deciding factor. Was this something you remember thinking about as a child, or do you have any family who are doctors or no. in the profession? At all, actually. No, uh, nobody in the medical field, um, and no one stole my siblings. are both in tech, and my dad's an engineer. Um, so, yeah, no, didn't, didn't grow up with it at all. And when you realized you had a fondness for it, was there a moment of thinking any doubt of whether you could do it or whether it would be the type of life you wanted? Or once you realized there was an affinity, did you jump right in? I think I pretty much jumped right in. It may sound a little cheesy, but I remember walking into an emergency room, my first EMT shift, and with all the chaos, the volume, I felt at peace. So it's like, this is my spot. This is yeah. where I'm meant to be. It was peaceful. It was, this is it. And so, yeah, it was just a gut feel, as cliche as that sounds, but it was. And then what did, what did you like about it, other than feeling sort of at home because it was the right place for you? What, what, what attracted you more intellectually to it? So um, specifically emergency medicine, um, I, it's very high acuity, it's high volume, um, it's a combination of thinking as well as physical skills. I do a lot of procedures as well in the emergency room. So I felt like I was able to combine everything I loved into one. I also like the fact that I was able to see results fairly quickly as opposed to maybe being in a clinic and watching someone's blood pressure you know, get better over three months or six months. This was something where I would give a medication or treat something, and I saw a response. Um, so I think that was those were kind of the key factors of what I loved about it. And also going into it, I knew that after doing a couple of the early trips in college, I knew that I wanted to work internationally and I wanted to be able to volunteer. And I found that emergency medicine was probably one of the only fields that gave me that flexibility, the skill and the knowledge to be able to work anywhere in the world. So that was very attractive to me. Was there an element that was daunting about it? 
Um, that continues to be the hardest part? Yeah, it is. You know, with being such a quick field, I don't necessarily get to build relationships or rapport with my patients. And so some of the most daunting things people always ask me is, oh, it's got to be hard to see a dead body or watch someone die. And those necessarily are not the hardest cases for me because a lot of times they come in in cardiac arrest and I don't even get to talk to them. The ones that I really struggle with are the ones where I have to tell for the first time that they have cancer. Um, those really get me because I've barely talked to this person for five minutes um, and then have to give them some very, very life-changing news. Um, so th- th- those factors can be really um, difficult um, and, you know, just stay on my mind even after a shift. Is that something you get any training for in medical school or is that just something once you're on the job you just sort of have to learn as you go? I think it's more learn as you go and I think you get a feel. Um, and I think a lot of it's just innate. You just, um, if you're able to do it, I think you're drawn to these type of fields. Um, they gave us a little training in medical school of how to talk to family members as far as, uh, you know, if one of their loved ones died. But it's really more, it was actually makes me laugh sometimes. One of the things they would tell us is make sure you sit by the door um, so you can get out because you may have a chair thrown at you or something like that. And um, so it wasn't really the emotional aspect. And this is how you have a conversation. It's this is how you, you protect <laughs> yourself. I remember that. And it's one of the things I never do because I just want to be close and be at eye level with them. So I actually never followed that rule. And why you not only do you work in emergency medicine, but you travel among a variety of hospitals. How did that come about? Yeah, I've always loved traveling. Um, as I mentioned, you know, my family, we were, I was born and raised in England. My dad actually worked in West Africa for about 10 years or so. So we did a lot of traveling. I flew for the first time at age four by myself. Um, so I love airports. I love planes. I just, I love traveling. Um, I like being around different patient populations, different healthcare professionals, different disease processes. And so I found that traveling, even within the United States, there's so many different types of uh, patients uh, and people. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. So I've traveled since I graduated residency. Is there an adjustment that you have to make once you've entered a new hospital? Or are they similar enough that it's not that big of a transition? You're adjusting to a new team. Are the hospitals varied greatly or, or fairly similar? They do. Um, I think medicine ultimately stays the same. So as long as you have that foundation, I think you're good. But no, um, uh, the systems and the hospitals, the computers, you know, everything's electronic charting and there's different uh, electronic systems to be able to do charting and um, different usernames and passwords for every hospital I work at that I have to remember. Um, nurses can be very different and work differently. Consultants, the way you admit people, discharge people. So it can be, it can be quite different. Um, so you have to be able to uh, learn very quickly. And do you feel you're welcomed pretty quickly in, enveloped into the team or is there a proving period every time there, that you begin? I think there's always a proving period. Um, the nurses will always try to test uh, and challenge which I actually love. Um, I don't think that you should just give someone respect and trust because they have this title. You know, just because I'm a doctor doesn't mean that they have to trust me. So I actually kind of like it. I like the challenge and uh, having them test me. And And what are they testing for? And what does the testing uh, consist of? What does it look like? Patients, they'll question something. You know, I may order a certain medication or I may decide that I want to run a certain test and they'll say, doctor, well, why did you want to do this? And, you know, I get questioned as opposed to once I've worked somewhere for a while. That, you know, doesn't happen. They're very comfortable. And how long is a typical stint? 
at a hospital, particular hospital? I've worked at hospitals for maybe a month or two, and then I've stayed at hospitals for a couple of years. Um, I basically, um, I work for a company called Team Health, and I'm part of what they call their special ops division. And so essentially they deploy us to these facilities when they've acquired the contracts, when there's holes in the schedule, when there's any kind of gap that needs to be filled. This is Ellie Newman Industry Relationship. I'm here talking to Dr. Mita Patel, and we are going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment, so stick with us. This is KDPI 89.3 FM Ketchum. Welcome back. This is Ellie Newman on Its Relationship, and I'm here with Dr. Mita Patel, and we are talking about her life and work as an emergency room doctor and her upcoming trip to Uganda through Project Helping Hand. So let's talk a little bit about traveling to third world countries. As we now have learned, you are not new at this in any way. You were traveling when you were four years old on your own. So this is a, a definitely a deep-seated part of your life. Uh, you took some medical volunteer trips to Mexico in college and during your residency. How did those come about and what was your experience there? Um, those were, I mean, they were wonderful. It's a reason that it's one of the main reasons that I wanted to go into medicine. Um, the first one was, I was just a pre-med student and we went to Acuna, Mexico. Um, and that was, uh, sleeping on the floors and sleeping bags and strangely 30 degrees in Mexico. I remember being very cold there. Um, and we set up clinics and churches and schools, um, huts on farms. Uh, it was just a phenomenal experience. I, I People smile. They smile when they're sick. They, you know, it's just, it's what I remember is the smiling faces. Um, even when they were in pain, they were just so grateful and appreciative. Um, so it was, it was a very rewarding experience. And you later took a trip to New Zealand post-residency to get more experience. What were you hoping to get more experience in? So um, I've always wanted to travel internationally. One of the organizations that I have wanted to travel with is Doctors Without Borders, um, and they've they require a certain amount of travel experience and experience after residency. Um, so that was one of the reasons I wanted to go out and work there. I also just wanted to see a different healthcare system um, and see how patients and the system functioned uh, somewhere outside of the United States. So I worked in an emergency room in New Zealand, um, and oh, it was a beautiful experience. I really enjoyed working there. Uh, I had a recent guest who spoke about the need to leave the West behind, to shed the West, to be able to see a country like Uganda or India yeah. for what it actually is, rather than your sort of comparison um, to the baggage you carry about the West, to really be objective and have a true experience of what that country is about and what they have to offer. Yeah. No, I think I agree with that. Yeah. I definitely think it takes a certain amount of time, and for everyone, I'm sure it's different where you feel this just almost release and you just feel like you're one in that place, as opposed to someone um, being placed in that location. Um, so on my last trip to India, I remember there was a moment where I just felt like, oh, I'm working here. It, it feels not foreign to me anymore. Um, and I'm not sure what that is. I, I don't know when that release happens and when you feel comfortable, but it's just a feeling and you just start to stop comparing, well, we have this and they don't have this, and you just work with what you have. Um, but I do think that you need the West because it allows you to take the skills and the knowledge that we do and are fortunate enough to have here that a lot of these foreign countries don't have 
and be able to take that take that knowledge with me when I travel. And had you been to India prior to traveling for this medical trip? No, this was my first time in India. And did you go off with a specific intent or, or objective, and, and did that shift once you got there? Um, the reason I went with this particular group was uh, to work with children. I actually don't do a lot of pediatric work. I do see kids in the emergency room, but um, probably very uh, minor compared to the amount of adults I do. So I've always had this little bit of a just nervousness around children and medicine, and so I wanted to put myself out of my comfort zone um, and really challenge myself. And did that happen? Yes. Fairly quickly? It did, very quickly. There were a lot of children. And what was what was the bigger challenge, did you feel, for you working with children in that situation? Um, part of it is just the knowledge base. You know, children, like most people say in medicine, they're not just little adults. So the disease process, the presentations, the treatments are all very different. And so um, just reading up on those things and being able to examine them uh, was challenging to me just because I'm not used to seeing children all the time. And what type of uh, illnesses or injuries were you predominantly treating them for? Most of the kids, you know, a lot of it is uh, poor water sanitation and maybe lack of water. Um, And so a lot of infections, skin infections um, specifically, so a lot of rashes, skin infections. Um, uh, There were a couple of kids that had very interesting cardiac defects. Um, They were born with these cardiac defects, and it was actually quite sad because if they were in the U.S., and again, it was comparing, if they were in the United States, there probably would have been a lot we could have done for them. Um, One of the kids I noticed, they they were playing tag, and he really, you know, he was an Indian kid, and he looked almost blue, and he couldn't keep up with the rest of the kids, and so kind of sat with him and talked to him, and they, his mom showed up and said, you know, he's, she showed me some of his paperwork, and his, uh, he'd had an ultrasound done of his heart, an echocardiogram, um, and these defects, the doctors had just, they, the surgeries would cost too much money, um, the medications cost too much money, they, they'd essentially given up on this kid, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't live more than a year um, from when I was there, so uh, it really, you know, it, it really gets to you. Um, but the kid was smiling. He was running around and he was smiling, you know, just happy as can be. So, um, yeah. And, and what type of supplies are you armed with in that situation? What are you going with? How limited are you? Um, so we were pretty good with medications. We have antibiotics. Um, we do a good job of all types of antibiotics. Um, Tylenol, ibuprofen, these are kind of basic things that they have a hard time finding. And most of the uh, a lot of the patients we saw there were laborers, and so they have a lot of physical injuries and just wear and tear and sprains, and so just simple things like Tylenol and Motrin made a world of difference to them. Um, what's interesting is you learn to ration things like gloves. You know, I take gloves for granted. I mean, they're in every patient room here in the U.S., and there's boxes and boxes of them. You know, if I drop one, I drop one. And there, it's you have to pick and choose, you know, who you want to protect yourself, you know, when you want to protect yourself and what you need to wear gloves for, um, hand sanitizer, things like that, needles. Um, you know, they have to wipe them down and reuse them because they just don't have enough. Um, so very different experience from what we, we get. We have no issue here in the U.S. with supplies at most hospitals. And so your upcoming trip is with an organization we mentioned called Project Helping Hands. And the organization's primary purpose is not necessarily to provide temporary only temporary health care, but rather preventative health education. 
Have you been involved with any aspect of that with the organization? Yes, and that was actually one of the other things that attracted me to this organization is that they don't just go out and spend a couple of weeks there and then they're done. And then who knows what happens the rest of the year. They actually are very focused on preventative medicine. So we actually have 25 or so teaching guides that each of the team members have worked on. Um, Things like from diabetes to malaria to simple things like how to wear a condom because STDs are so big in that country. Um, So we've all, and we're going to train, we have translators that work there as well with us. And so we're going to train them as well. And so there's going to be a lot of education. One of the other things they do as well, and there's research that has shown that in certain, these type of countries, the grandmothers, the elders are actually the ones that end up taking care of the young ones and they're respected in the community as being wise and so people listen to them and so they've come up with this kind of grandmother project where we get all the grandmas in and teach them hand washing, you know, all these things. Um, So I think it's going to be good because that way they can carry these things on. So uh, one of the things I had donated uh, were toothbrushes Um, and a lot of these places we go to, they don't have running water. So we may not necessarily give them toothpaste because a lot of them will think, well, if I don't have any more the rest of the year, I'm going to stop brushing my teeth. So the goal is, here's a toothbrush. You can brush every single day, twice a day, even if you don't have floss and toothpaste and things. So it's a lot of, it's working with that community as opposed to just imposing what our standard, uh, our norm is. That makes sense. Come into play as well with working with their sort of mentality in accepting medical treatment or the type of medical treatment that they're comfortable in accepting? Has that been an issue as far as when you were in India or what you're expecting in Uganda? Yeah, you know, there's definitely, uh, there's different cultures, um, you know, simple things like there was a, a big Muslim population in India where I was and the women, you know, would not take off any clothes at all. They were very uncomfortable. They wouldn't see a male physician. And you work around those things. You have to be able to respect and understand where they're coming from in order to help uh, them and, uh, you know, make their health, improve their health, I guess. Um, and so, yes, I think, you know, I try to learn about the countries before I go out there and the local customs and cultures. Um, unfortunately, the language is very difficult. So I may <laughs> try to pick up a few words. But, um, yeah, the goal is to work within their culture and help improve their health. And in setting off, does it feel to you sort of a few days away more like an adventure or a mission or a combination of the two? I think it's a combination. I just, every time I go on these trips, it's just, it's, it's always an adventure, whether, you know, there's always going to be good and bad. Um, and I t- I take it all in cause I feel like you can learn from both aspects. Um, and it's a mission. I want to, I want to make a difference. You know, a lot of this is m- even, maybe even more for me than it is for the people out there. I, I want to feel like I made a difference in somebody's life and, um, I know I have a skill that can help. So I, I feel like it's both. And do you have any fears setting off? Um, not really fears. I guess just I think the one thing that always uh, in the back of my mind, again, relating to what I just said, is not making a difference, you know, not being able to help or not changing an aspect or not helping treat something. Um, that's always a fear of mine. What was your reaction? Because you'd been to India on this prior trip and Mexico for a couple trips, and you knew you had this trip coming up to the part of the country's reaction, kind of a fear-based reaction to the spread of the Ebola virus when uh, U.S. doctors were going and making the decision to travel there and treat 
the Ebola and then coming back into the United States? What was sort of the attitude within the medical community and what was your attitude, your personal attitude? Um, I think the attitude in the medical community was uh, fairly positive and wanting to take, wanting to educate people um, on the disease. So interestingly enough, you know, when I tell people I'm going to Africa, they, everyone gets very worried and, oh no, you're going to come back with Ebola. But um, the distance between uh, West Africa and Uganda is the same as California to New Hampshire. So I was probably more in danger here being closer to Dallas. So I think when you put it into perspective, it's, uh, it, it, I'm comfortable going. And do you feel like the hospitals and the uh, administrative staffs there, are they supportive of these sorts of trips, of giving up a, a U.S. doctor for a time to go and, and work somewhere else in the world? Yeah, I can say my company definitely is. But again, I travel for work, which is not the same as what a lot of emergency physicians do. And the reason I chose to travel for work in the U.S. is so I would have the flexibility. So I schedule my shifts and I get my work done here and the rest of the time is my time. So I I do have a lot of flexibility. And do you feel like having chosen emergency medicine that that is well suited for this type of a, a mission adventure? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we know in emergency medicine, you, can, you know a little bit about everything. Um, and so I think we're really well suited to be, and, and we're generally quick to learn and uh, quick to respond. So one of the other things that I did do was during Katrina, I was a resident, um, and I was a resident in Houston, so we had a lot of Katrina victims come from uh, Louisiana over, and we set up big clinics in the convention centers there and uh treated all the patients that came over. Um, and I found that I worked with other doctors that were pediatricians, OB. And I remember the, one of the OB doctors coming over to me and saying, I'm not sure what this blood pressure means. Um, and I thought to myself, this is great. You know, I, I, I could deliver a baby and I know the blood pressure. So it was, was, yeah, I love doing emergency medicine. Was training, you think, more interesting to you because of that, because you were going to know something about all the different parts? Does that fit with your personality, sort of how yeah. you like to approach learning and information? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'd rather know a little bit about everything than know a lot about one uh, specific thing. And, and then that's just me. I, I enjoy knowing everything. And was working in the midst of that in Katrina, was that overwhelming for you at any moment? Or again, did it feel like the emergency room, like, ah, I'm at peace, I'm at home? Um, It was overwhelming. Um, Also, I would work a 12-hour shift in residency and then go volunteer in the evenings. Um, So I think I was physically just exhausted. But it was a lot of people all at once and a lot of needs that had to be met. So it, it was definitely overwhelming in a good way. And, and do you feel yourself rev up in those moments? Because you must have been absolutely physically exhausted. So do you click on? Yeah, yeah. And I think I was younger back then too. But yeah, no, you just turn on. You uh, you get it done, you know. And I think it, you get to a moment where it doesn't matter if you've slept, eaten, peed. You know, you, you just do what needs to be done. And, it, and is that an inherent trait for you? Is that something that, that uh-huh. came in the package from yeah, the get-go? Yeah, so. I think a lot of it's inherent. And uh, I, I trained at a residency that was, uh, it, it was, what's the word? It was very disciplined. And there were times where it was very rough. I remember my medical director saying to me one day, um, you know, we never called in sick. There was no such thing as calling in sick. And he said, if you don't come to work, I want to know where to put the flowers on your grave. 
or what your ventilator settings are. And that was it. And so, yeah, it just, I, I've trained, I've had that type of training. Is it a good thing for doctors to be <laughs> sick at work? No, probably not. Um, but it's, you just do what you have to do. All right. Well, this is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. I'm here with Dr. Mita Patel. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. So stay with us. This is KDPI 89.3 FM Ketchum. All right, we're back. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship, and I'm here with Dr. Mita Patel. I was just asking her at the break whether or not she was packed and whether or not she was organized by nature. And so Mita was saying her, her sister chop, chops the chart. She's pretty good with, with lists, doesn't move as, quite as quickly at home, which I'm sure we can all understand, the speed with which she is moving at work. So I want to talk a little bit about the group dynamic uh, that you experience with the other volunteers um, on something like Katrina or when you were in India, does it tend to be a, a fairly broad spectrum of people that participate or is there a commonality that's obvious right away? Um, I think it is fairly broad, but I'll say this Uganda trip, the physicians, there's about 15 or so of us. Three of us are physicians and all three are emergency physicians. So again, I find that on these types of trips, it's, it's mostly emergency physicians um, that will go out. Um, about 10 or so nurses on the Uganda trip. We have someone that has their master's in public health, so they'll be helping with the non-medical side as well. And I think we have one or two PAs as well. Um, so fairly diverse group. Um, on the India trip, I had actually gone by myself and worked with two of the local doctors there and a couple of the nurses there as well. Um, but I find everyone has the same goal and mission and everyone's out there to help and to serve and so there is this common bond and cohesiveness within the group how are you preparing for the trip other than you said you were headed to rei to get some things <laughs> for, for the ruggedness of it how do you prepare otherwise have you met the group do you have a sort of plan developed we actually, I have not physically met anybody in the group. We do conference, we've had conference calls almost every couple of weeks. Um, so most, a lot of them are from the East Coast. There are a few from Hawaii, and then the rest are scattered all over. We're actually going to meet in person for the first time in Amsterdam um, before our flight from Amsterdam to Uganda. So on our calls, we've talked about the preventative medic, uh, medical aspects. So we all um, wrote these teaching guides and have worked on those as well. There's been a lot of fundraising that's needed to happen so we could raise money to buy medications and supplies because essentially we're only as good as what we take with us. I mean, I could go out there if I have nothing to give these people that have an infection or diabetes, it's going to be of no use. And so we've done, we've been able to get a lot of donations for medication supplies. We've raised money. Um, and a lot of the money that gets left over and doesn't get used for actual supplies for the clinic at that time, we use, um, it's called our contingency fund. And basically what happens is there will be patients that may need a surgery, for example. And so we can actually use those funds provide transportation to get them to the nearest city hospital, which may be five hours away, pay for the surgeon, pay for the surgery, pay for the anesthesiologist. And so there are um, a lot of things that we can do with that money uh, even after we've left. Um, and are you individually responsible for bringing the supplies? Is that something that yes. is assigned yeah. to the doctors who are participating to organize what you'll bring? 
Right. So I have about 50 pounds worth of medications and supplies so far. So taking two bags and I've got a bag full of medications and supplies and one bag for my personal stuff. Um, so yeah, we're responsible for lugging everything over. One of the good things though about Uganda as opposed to a lot of other countries is that you can actually buy a lot of the medications in country for quite cheap, which is why the fundraising really helped for this one because we can just take all that money and buy all the things. So we don't have to take it all across because last thing you want is it getting confiscated in customs. Um, so hopefully that won't be an issue. We'll see. And has that been an issue on, on some of these trips or in some of these countries that yeah. maybe the customs officers can't be trusted as well as one would hope and things are confiscated and put on the black market? Yes, it's not happened to me, but I've heard that, um, especially, so we're going to do our best not to look like we're part of a company when we land, you know, so we won't all be wearing the same t-shirts and things, and so we'll try to I look like... I saw that you got a t-shirt, that was, even in the extreme trip, supposed yeah. to be some sort of inspiration. Right, right. Um, so, but I've heard from other volunteers that have gone that they, it has been confiscated, and then I'm sure, yes, they sell it on the black market, um... But we don't take anything really that would be of any value in the U.S. You know, we don't take narcotics. Um, you know, they're really just Tylenol, Motrin, vitamins, antibiotics. We have maybe some dental supplies, um, you know, IVs, speculums, things like that. Uh, it's just, but it's sad that, you know, if it all got confiscated. So my goal was to try to raise more money so we could actually use that money and get the supplies in country. Any specific challenges you're expecting to encounter based on it being Uganda or Africa in general? I think it's going to be really hot. <laughs> I don't do well in the heat. Um, and when you say really hot, what are we talking hundreds? Yeah, I think they're saying a high 90s and a lot of humidity and we're going to be outdoors and you know, obviously no air conditioning when we sleep. And so, yeah, the heat can be very exhausting. Will the trip last? How long will you be there? It's 14 days of work. Um, so with the travel, it's just a little over that. And you'll stay at the hotel and then be bused into uh, a makeshift clinic or an actually um, standard clinic that's, that's stable in the environment? No, a makeshift clinic. We're actually going to be in two different locations. The first location is about three hours outside of Kampala, the capital of Uganda. Um, and so we do about a week's work there, and it's all set up, tents uh, sort of put up. Uh, it, it'll mimic a emergency room, so there'll be a waiting room and a triage area, and then the providers will be in uh, little cubbies so we'll have our own stations as well there'll be a pharmacy set up as well um and then there'll be an education area and then for the next week we go somewhere very remote actually you can't even find it on the map it's called uh and i hope i pronounce it right i think it's nengazia um and so apparently uh, these are the slums um they have no running water no electricity so so one of the things that we one of the team members was able to find which i thought was very cool um if you know what a a nebulizer machine is so people that have asthma you get those nebulizer machines that help help them breathe and here all the equipment we have you plug it in they don't have electricity there and so we were actually able to find a company that has a foot pump for these machines and so, you know, if you got a foot, you can pump it. And so it's been really interesting. We've been able to find a lot of equipment that I would have never thought of. That so even existed. Yeah. And, and are the residents expecting you? Have they been communicated to in advance that, that this is something for them to expect and what they can expect? 
Yes, absolutely. We have contacts in Uganda, and I believe the contacts that we have have been with the group for a long time. And so they work in the field making sure that everybody knows that we will be there and what's available. On a trip like this, or you've come back from a trip like this, do you think about sort of what you would most hope to see change in the future or what needs to happen for a real change to come to fruition? As far as... uh, as far as you had said, you know, the goal is to make a real difference. So yeah. so I'm guessing it's it's not kind of the goal to be on a, a similar trip in 5, 10, or 15 years. Right. No, I'd want to – I would hope to go back to the same country twice a year at least would be and to be able to see how, you know, the children are growing up and progressing and how, you know, everyone's health is doing um, – Education, is that kind of, you said that was one reason you chose this particular group. Is that the thing that you think is most important for these countries to develop better um, medical care? Or is it something else that needs to happen and change? I don't think you hit it. It, it, That really is one of the biggest things because, you know, we can go out and work for a week and treat, you know, if someone doesn't happen to be sick at that time, they don't get seen. And so really, it's uh, preventative medicine that I think ultimately is going to make a difference. And for places like Uganda, it's simple things for malaria, like teaching them to use mosquito nets and repellent and, um, and then hygiene. You know, a lot of the viruses and bacteria that are contracted are um, secondary to poor hand hygiene, so teaching them to wash their hands. And then um, STDs are uh, numerous there, and so teaching safe sex. Um, so I'm hoping that we'd see a decrease in those diseases, really. And experience so far as to being the big, biggest barriers to what in America you might think of, oh, well, those are sort of, you know, in some um, areas, minor changes to make. And yet in an environment that they're in, they're huge changes to make. What, what are sort of the biggest barriers to overcome to getting them to change those behaviors? I think that when you're used to something and used to living your life a certain way, when somebody, especially a foreigner, comes in and says, well, you must put up mosquito nets, um, they've lived with mosquitoes their whole life. It's really, I'm trying to think of what I could compare it to. I guess, think about maybe back in the 70s before everyone used sunscreen all the time, you know? I mean, it took a long time to get people to realize skin cancer, you know, all these diseases can happen just from the sun. People are used to just running around the beach with nothing on. And so I think it it's a process. I think it takes a while um, to get there. And so I think you have to, again, be respectful and understand that it's going to be take time and be patient with it and, and educate and really hope that it, it does take. So even one-on-one basis, when you're talking to someone about washing their hands and using a mosquito net, in this case, but maybe, you know, different things in India. What approach did you use to try to get to a place where the two of you could meet being from such different cultures? So interestingly in India, because I did work with children, I found the kids helped because kids are easy to mold. Um, You know, you tell them they got to wash their hands and you play games with them and you make it fun and they'll do it. And so instead of directly telling the parents that they must do this or this is what helps, it was having the kids show them. Like, hey, this is what we learned. They told us this. And the parents were much more responsive to their own children than they were to me telling them. So I found having someone that they can relate to, someone that speaks a language as well, uh, makes a bigger difference. 
I'm feeling that once they go back to their own communities and with their own um, areas of the uh, village or that they are continuing these practices, how, how do you sort of, because change is difficult to implement and then it's often very difficult to sustain if you go back into the old environment. Right. So do you have a sense of sort of um, my how hope that shift I- takes place? Yeah, my hope would be that it does uh, last, but I, I don't think I'm that naive. Um, I'm sure that once you get back into your own ways and, you know, we're gone, I'm sure they do have a tendency to relapse. One of the things in India that was great is one of the nurses I worked with, he lives there, and the clinic is run out of essentially where he lives. And so even after I was gone, these people were still, the patients were still able to see him, and he continued to reiterate, we must do this, we must do this. And so I think leaving it behind with the contacts that actually, that we work with, so whether it's in India um, or in Uganda with Project Helping Hands, I think keeping somebody there locally and using them, I think is probably um, a good way to keep things going. And are you expecting that? Are there going to be local people who will participate in your two weeks there that then will stay and continue to kind of propagate the messages and the skills yeah. that you're teaching? Yes, there's a couple of nurses, there's a dentist, um, and then the uh, physician that I mentioned, Dr. Higgins, um, he's going to come out and do about a week with us as well, and then he stays in East Africa. So, yeah, I do think uh, we'll be able to do that. just have a few minutes left, uh, Dr. Patel. I want to talk a little bit about you were recently married. Yes. And I, in a moment, want to read an email that your husband sent out. Uh, but before that, I was just wondering how, um, in any way, if it has, that's influenced your decisions to travel, uh, in any way changed your perspective on, on the way that you're choosing to use your medical skills and your knowledge and your talents? Um, this is going to sound cheesy, but I have a fantastic, supporting, loving husband, um, and he is just up and ready for anything. And um, one of the first things I remember, I think it was maybe the first month we were dating, um, we were sitting down talking and I told him that this is what my goal was. This is why I went into medicine. And I still remember he looked at me and he said, Mita, you do whatever you want to do. I'm going to support you. And he said, if it means I'm going to screw in light bulbs in a foreign country, I'll do it. Um, And I just, I, I fell in love with him. And he's you know, this was about six years ago that he said that, and he's still just supportive and loving. So, yeah. And has and intention wavered at all? Sort of that goal to knowing from the the kind of the moment you started with EMT work that this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it because I want to make a difference. Um, no, I don't think it has. Um, I, I I do work less in the U.S. than I used to, and that so it does allow me to have time to be able to do these trips. So I don't think it's wavered. Um, I've just been able to find a balance of being able to work here and do the other things I want to do. And, and what feeds that? Because there's got to be moments when you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am so tired and this is really hard. And it's, it's, there are parts that are so not fun. Yeah. Um, so what, what keeps feeding it to make it be what's driving you and motivating you well, to act. It's a very, you know, it's a very selfish reason. It makes me feel good about myself. Um, I, I, I guess really, you know, when I work in the U.S. or a lot of ERs I work in, where it is um, 
you know, I deal with a lot of drug addicts, alcoholics, um, a lot of malingering and drug seeking behavior, and it can get frustrating sometimes. Um, and doesn't feel very rewarding. And so in a shift here, if I get one patient that I feel like, you know, I did something and I provided some kind of medical care, makes me feel really good about myself. So if I take that and I do two weeks worth, um, it's extremely fulfilling. And so a lot of it is a very selfish need. It also revives me and recharges me. I feel like I can come back here and um, feel a little bit more alive again. Um, And I bring more knowledge Back, so I feel like you can never stop learning, and so this is just a means to keep on learning and keep on providing. I'm going to read the email your husband sent out to a group of your friends. It says, hey gang, no pressure, but Mita is volunteering to provide medical care to the underserved in Uganda in February. The team she is going with is only as good as the supplies and medicines they can take with them or arrange for in Uganda. And any and all donations, no matter how small, would be greatly appreciated by Mita and me. So on that note, if you could tell the listening audience how they can support you and this organization and the underserved in Uganda, yes, is there so a website they can go to? There is, yeah. So there's a link. Uh, the website is projecthelpinghands.org, and there's a tab for donation options, and then you can donate to the Uganda trip. Um, and there should be an area where you can put my name in there, meet the Patel um, uh, any any amount would be amazing. You'd be surprised at how far a dollar goes in Uganda. Um, so anything and everything is very much appreciated by me and I'm sure the people in Uganda as well. Well, me, thank you very much for joining us on its relationship. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Wish you a wonderful trip and lots of luck. And congratulations on being such a, a generous participant in our world. Thank you very much. I write this today so when World War 3 starts I can look back and know what I was thinking I was thinking wouldn't it be nice if I could